Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Charity Charge Show slash the Charity Charge Podcast. I'm here with one of my favorite people who's a wow, part of the Charity you. Charge community. Yeah, and you were just telling me that you're a kind of a groupie, a, groupie. a listener. Is that okay, fair enough to say? Yeah, yeah. I don't remember exactly when I heard about Charity Charge the first time, but ever since I've been like following, listening to the podcast, you know, trying to get people to sign up for the cards. So yeah, I, I love Charity Charge. I really appreciate that. So yeah. I'm with Michelle Monroe who is the executive director of the Abundant Life Foundation. We're actually on site um, at their beautiful office, which is which is really wonderful to be here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for coming. We're trying to do a bit more kind of out in the community on the road as opposed to just having people um, in our studio. So it's exciting to be out here. And, you know, I really want to start this podcast, you know, by thanking you. You know, I think that um, one of the things that is giving me so much joy is being able to work with a variety of organizations, um, but something that is really, in a sense, kind of meant to be is just how last um, last December I went on a trip with my with my parents. Shout out to Hal and Marquette um, <laughs> down to Roatan, actually, um, which is where Abundant Life Foundation, you know, does their work. So right. this is just so cool. Like we're here in Austin, Texas, but obviously you all have. Um, you know, your work and your serving down there. Right. So without further ado, we're talking about it. Can you tell people what is Abundant Life Foundation and talk a bit about kind of your mission and the work you do? Yeah, for sure. So it's been such a fun journey to be part of the Abundant Life Foundation. Um, I've been on for about a year and our mission is to provide opportunities for the people of Honduras and specifically Roatan Honduras to build vibrant and brighter futures for themselves. And we do that through initiatives in community, through education and conservation. And it's a real privilege to get to work with, you know, our local teams who are down in Honduras. And then we have, you know, a small staff here in Austin to um, do a lot of the marketing and fundraising for the organization. That's awesome. Yeah. And you were just there on a trip. We were talking about that. Right. Can you shed some light just kind of like on a practical level? Like what were some of the things that you were focused on on that trip in particular? Yeah, so actually we just brought on a new regional director down in Roatan. She's uh, someone who's from the island, which is a transition for us. We um, have had in the past, we've had you know local staff who are Honduran, but not necessarily from the island of Roatan. So it was really exciting to bring her on, was helping to onboard her. But typically when we go down, then we'll you know check out our various projects. So one of our biggest projects right now is a master plan community for um, people in the working class of Roatan who are looking for opportunities for first-time home ownership. And so we check out those projects, you know, look into the STAS report, help the team with, um, you know, maybe project planning and, and next steps. And then we just get a chance to bond with the folks down there. I have direct reports in, in Honduras, so it's good to spend that time and have a, a little bit of face time with them. And are you um, employing local people when you talk about the direct reports, or do you have people from maybe like Austin, Texas that are down there on site? Yeah, so we've we've in the past had both. Right now our staff with this new regional director is 100% um, island people mm -hmm. uh, from the island of Roatan. So um, employing local people and then obviously our contractors beyond just the office administrative staff, our contractors are also local and, and that's one of our you know objectives is mm -hmm. to be able to provide those opportunities but also you know how can we do what we want to do and create bright those brighter futures without having the context of culturally what's needed what's appropriate what's um, you know what people on the island are looking for it's a really insightful point to make I mean I think it's 
what I what I find super compelling about that is not only are you doing direct mission work, you know, to serve you know certain communities and people like in Roatan, but it's also the whole like idea of like an economic impact that you're also then employing people, and then it, right. you know, they're naturally also going to be closer to the culture and and the needs and stuff. Right. So it right. actually makes a ton of sense, and I think there's, you know, a lot of instances of just whatever the organization is, for profit or nonprofit, mm-hmm. like going into a geographic area that they're not, you know, their headquarters, their office, so to speak, isn't in, but bringing in outside people and there can be a drop off of. Right, no, definitely. And one thing that, you know, I've been on for a year, like I mentioned, and one of the things I hear over and over is we have people on the island who are local who want to give back to their communities, who want to be able to pursue jobs that are in social services, but there aren't necessarily the avenues to do that. There are a lot of volunteer organizations, there are a lot of people coming in from other countries who see the need on the island or see the opportunities that that uh, are lacking, but they don't necessarily have the resources or the priority to actually employ folks who who know that and it's helped us so much and you know every time I go down it's it's really an honor to be able to work with such quality people and I'm always learning from our staff um, down on the ground and uh, it's a lot of fun to, to just get a chance to engage with our work in a way that you see that it has meaning you feel that it has meaning but you're also getting the feedback from from people who are doing the work that it has meaning to them personally and for you know their communities it's so wonderful to hear yeah. that yeah I mean we think a lot about um, you know just in Austin Texas this whole idea of like local you know mm-hmm. buy local give local right employ local yeah it makes a lot of sense so it's nice to to see that coming through your mission when you're down there you know kind of boots on the ground perspective sure I want to actually step back a second because um, I'm sure there were one or multiple specific reasons of why your founders decided to create Abundant Life Foundation. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, with that being said, I guess my additional question to that is like, why particularly Roatan? I mean, there, my understanding is your founders were living in Austin, Texas, yet decided to create Abundant Life Foundation that's, you know, serving people in Roatan. Right. Can you talk a little bit about that origin story and the, the passion for it? Yeah, it has been really, it's been amazing to get a chance to work with our founders. They're still very involved with the organization. They serve on our board and are in this office with me um, quite frequently throughout the week. So uh, they are, they live here in Lakeway, Texas, and just really amazing people have always had hearts to give back. Um, the truth is they went on a vacation down to Roatan, which is a common thing. You know, Roatan is this I did it, yeah. yeah. We were <laughs> exactly. r- recommended by my, my parents' neighbors Yeah, said, had gone there the previous year, and, you know, they were trying to figure out wh- where are we going to go. And right. I mean, it's up. this beautiful Caribbean sure. island, right? And so they went on vacation there. Um, started going regularly. By the way, this is not sponsored by the Tourism Bureau. Of, <laughs> it's not, but, but you if should take like a visit. To, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful place. And so they, they started visiting more often. They started personally getting involved with projects of, um, you know, giving things to children at the schools, um, forming relationships. There's a, a small island off of off of Roatan called St. Helene. Mm. Um, they got very close to that community and that community asked them to build a school um, for them. And, you know, they are philanthropists, that's who they are. And so they asked the community to make an investment of either their time or some other commitment. The community both agreed to give their time and, and their labor, but also to um, keep 
their the island clean and and in exchange then the Dashners David and Brenda who are our founders they um, supported the the funding and the building of a school there on St. Helene so that was really the first big project that the Abundant Life Foundation did down in the Bay Islands and then it grew from there and um, in 2007, we formally were focused solely on the Bay Islands for our philanthropic cause and have, have grown from there and have kind of um, formalized and, and had more focus over time in what our specific projects are. Can you walk us through just any practical anecdotes or kind of like micro stories of some of the impact you've seen or anything in particular that comes top of mind that um, you're personally proud about you know, the work of the Abundant Life Foundation either before you got here, you know, impact stories or things you've seen sure. or things that you've now witnessed yourself over the past year? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll start with St. Helene since I already mentioned that, the school that was built. So um, this is a community that until 2000, I guess it was early 2019, had no electricity, no power on the island. Wow. And so um, it was commonly kind of thought of as a forgotten community. Um, what I'm really proud of and, and why I'm proud to be about part of the foundation is that our founders have so intentionally built relationships with people and through that have been able to provide empowerment, which is a word that's used so much, but really unless you're willing to take the time and show your long-term uh, commitment to a place, you don't really empower people, you know? so. Um, they listened to the community. They they did a couple economic projects. There's uh, a woman on on St. Helene. Her name is Darla Darla Pandy, and she was um, brought in as a as a teacher. She's from St. Helene and worked at that school, and now is a community leader. And you know the children who were taught by her um, have grown and learned from her. And she also is uh, now that things are changing really rapidly on that part of the island. Um, she has been able to kind of be a, um, you know, one of the leaders that's bringing things in, that's helping the community to receive these new ideas such as electricity, tourism, all the things that are going to eventually trickle down to that part of, of the Bay Islands. Really happy to hear that. Yeah, yeah. I want and to then, dedicate this episode to Darlene. I yeah, think that's she's, awesome. she's awesome. I've, I've only gotten a chance to meet her once, but uh -huh. I've seen so many pictures, heard so many stories about her, and um, really a wonderful person. Um, more recently, so I mentioned our our biggest capital project right now is this master plan community, which has an origin story of its own that I probably don't have time to get into, but um, people are welcome to check it out on our website. Please do. But it's, it's How do they get there, by the way? Oh, www.abundantlifefoundation.org. Awesome. And you can also follow us on Facebook at ALF Roatan. Um, so, what we're doing with that project is, you know, these opportunities for first-time homeownership. There is a lot of development happening, and we feel it's important to see that the local communities are part of that development as opposed to, like, seeing the development happen to them and to their island. And so homeownership and having a piece of your own land is important in that, and we've heard that so many times. So. Um, we're in the process right now of getting applicants into homes. They're not free homes, it's affordable. And, you know, I've gotten to spend time with some of our homeowners and this one couple, um, I won't share their names, but they, you know, when they did their home visit and their interview, they have a floor that, you know, you can see onto the ground through their floor and they have one bed for their five person family. And um, seeing the way that they've 
gone through the, pro the application process, which is similar to Habitat for Humanity with sweat equity mm -hmm. and, and investment, personal investment, is so inspiring because they're excited about this opportunity and, and a better future for their children, um, you know, just by being a part of that community. It's really nice to hear. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's really awesome. I mean, I think how you've gotten involved over the past year and been able to also just get down there and back a handful of times or more to really be close to um, the mission and see it, which really leads to my next question, which I want to ask you a couple questions that are um, based on your experience working at Abundant Life Foundation, but trying to think of it through the lens of um, other people that are operating or running nonprofits. Mm -hmm. And so where I'm going with this is, you know, obviously like locally here in Austin, Texas, there are a lot of organizations that are based here um, and are doing the direct service work like in Austin. Mm -hmm. So I would argue that like when they're out getting support, you know, they're raising money and, or from a variety of different, you know, constituents, um, there's maybe a tighter feedback loop. So what are some of the things that you do or what are the, some of the differences that you've noticed where you're based here? I imagine a lot of your fundraising is in Austin or in the U.S. Absolutely. Yet you're doing work outside of the U.S. What just pops into your head when I talk about kind of the differences? Yeah, in a previous organization that I worked in, our work was very local and so people who were interested in supporting the organization were able to volunteer in very mm -hmm. tangible ways and they were able to connect the dots of, oh, you're operating in this school which is near my child's school, you know, and it, it is different when it's international and, and the truth is most people haven't even heard of Roatan Honduras, mm -hmm. right? Um, so really bringing people they in. They will now. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, right, now. that's right. <laughs> Broadcast it to the world. Um, but it's, it's really a chance to, one, paint a picture of why. Why, you know, why does it matter to do international giving at mm -hmm. all? And I think that there's a very compelling argument that, you know, we are global citizens. Our responsibility is not just to our neighbor, but also to people around the world. We've won a lottery of being born in the U.S. You know, our passport gives us so much freedom and, and liberty just because we happen to be born here. And so, um, you know, tying people into that larger responsibility of, of your brothers and sisters, not just in your backyard, but also across the globe, um, that's what we try to share with people. But beyond that, you know, there's, it's one thing to send a newsletter to someone to send a thank you note, but it's really giving people a chance to connect with individual stories or connect with individual projects. Um, if someone is passionate about education in the U.S., then by no means would we be hoping that they would stop supporting U.S.-based education initiatives, but to realize that that's, it's so similar to be able to support an organization mm -hmm. that does education initiatives in a different country and how even a smaller um, gift can have multiplying effects in a place like Roatan. That's really well said. I appreciate you sharing that and articulating it so well. Um, I also think what's interesting and a question I have for you is, given the fact that you've um, transitioned um, from um, being with a, di a different nonprofit organization and stepping into this leadership role as executive director for about the past year now, um, the transition happens a lot, you know, in, in that sense. So if you were to give advice to someone that is about to assume a new uh, executive director role, just reflecting on the past year, what are a couple of things you might have even said to yourself 
um, to prepare yourself for the for the transition and assuming this leadership role? Yeah, so I was serving as an interim executive director in my previous position, and I had the opportunity to apply with the Abundant Life Foundation. And, and because I had a connection to Honduras and, and because of my nonprofit experience, it was a great fit. Um, I was fortunate to be coming into the Abundant Life Foundation when it wasn't an emergency situation, mm -hmm. right? Um, so really, it was a gift to be able to come in and listen, you know, and especially because we have founders who are so connected and involved and still so passionate. Um, I came on after the other, the previous executive director had already left, but uh, something that they've shared with me many times is, you know, we learned to trust you because you gave us time, that you gave mm. us time and made sure to keep us in the loop and informed as board members, as founders, um, so that now, you know, I'm, I'm a year in and I'm ready to make some changes within the organization. Um, there were some gradual changes over the course of the last year, but really understanding from staff and board what this, what we're, where we're headed, where everyone independently sees we're headed so that as a leader now I can bring all those ideas together in a cohesive way and move us forward um, in a way that's that's going to take us to the next level but also honor those who came before me and um, honor those who are doing the work on the ground. It's well said. <laughs> I and, hope you probably feel that way if anyone ever comes and takes charity charge over, right? <laughs> oh boy, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> Well, I think it's I think it's awesome to have um, mutual respect and trust, you yeah. know. And I think how you describe it kind of goes both ways. But right. I also think what it sounds like, which is really great about your founders, Brenda and David, is that um, they were they knew how to run things and were well efficient. So it wasn't like you were stepping into a chaotic situation, right. which. I mean, we work with a lot of or different organizations, so I see a lot of different stuff, but a lot of times there's like turmoil. I mean, a lot of times why a new executor is coming in is because Noah had been watching the books right. and the, everything's chaotic and, you know, it's turbulent. It's nice right. to actually, it's refreshing yeah. that, that there's like proper leadership and governance and, you know, all those things. And I think that there are a lot of, when you look at it from a legal, like ethical perspective, a lot mm -hmm. of ways that are best practices to run a nonprofit but for a variety of reasons, a lot of times those aren't followed. Sure. And so there can be a lot of just turmoil and the new executive director has to right. clean up a big mess. Right, and, and I have had somewhat of an experience with that and my last role really did prepare me to ask the right questions in the interview stages mm. of leading to this leadership role because... That's a great point. Yeah, yeah, so you, know, you learn through a transition and, and so before I even started, I was able to ask questions about finances, strategic plan, funding, you know, things that I didn't necessarily, wouldn't have known in my first go around as an executive director, but you know, you learn those things and then as you're approaching your, your second time, then you have that context of what kind of things you really need to know to know if you're the right person to lead and, and if you're equipped for the challenges or, or new opportunities that are ahead. I think it's really well said. We're <laughs> going to end on that one because this has been such a cool interview to do with you. And I really appreciate that you are, um, have, what do we call it? You have, you have, you have it all in the <laughs> sense of you follow the podcast, you have the consumer card donating your cash back, you That's all right. use the business card here. Um, 
and that's what's so delightful and like so much joy that I get out about Charity Charge is just the kind of the win-win relationship with everything. Yeah. Um, and I just appreciate you so much. I mean, I sincerely mean that. And there's, we have a lot of people that have the individual, you know, executive directors, so to speak, that have the, in that, well, a lot of individuals that will have the individual card and a lot of organizations have the business card. It's not always that they have both cross-pollinate. And so this is really special. Well, thanks for building this community. We appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you. And to everyone listening or watching along, I uh, hope you enjoy all these podcasts that we're doing at Charity Charge. Take care.